we will now be doing the digging news. Here's your digging news for May 2019. All right, check this out. Lost sight of Jesus feeding the multitude discovered. Awesome. According to the Jerusalem Post, a group of 20 archaeologists connected with Hebrew Union College in Jerusalem uncovered what they assert is the ancient city of Bethsaida, as it is known in the New Testament, or Zer, as it was called in the Old Testament. Many have thought the site in the Golan Heights area of Israel was the location of Bethsaida, but the area is more than a mile away from the Sea of Galilee and the town was known for fishing. However, the gate recently discovered by archaeologists lead them to believe they have found Bethsaida slash Zer. They say the site, wealth, and impressive nature of the gate indicate a significant city. There are not many gates in this country from this period, Dr. Rami Arva, A-R-V-A, director of the Bethsaida Project, polled the post. Bethsaida was the name of the city during the Second Temple period, but during the First Temple period, it was the city of Zer. He referenced Joshua 19.35 that lists Zer as one of the fortified cities of the tribe of Naphtali. In order to explain the discrepancy between the description of the city in the past being near the water and its current location, some have theorized that the sea rose much higher than today. Archaeologists examine Cold War images of the Middle East. Nice. According to Science Magazine report, anthropologist Emily Hammer of the University of Pennsylvania and her colleague Jason Err of Harvard University have created an index of several thousand high-resolution photographs taken with sophisticated cameras suspended from U-2 spy planes that flew reconnaissance missions throughout the Middle East during the 50s and 60s. These images, declassified in 1997, offer a more detailed look at the surface of the ground than do modern images on Google. Google Earth. That's one of the reasons why I thought this was really cool. However, archaeologists have not previously used the images for research purposes because they have not been digitized. So they're all just regular, you know, hard, right, floppy copies, whatever. And they have been hard to access. And information about where the photographs were taken has remained classified. But now it's all declassified. Now they've digitized them all. Hammer and Err employed their knowledge of the Middle East and geographic clues in the photographs to reconstruct possible flight paths of 11 of the formerly top-secret missions. The researchers also identified three known sites in the U-2 photographs. Iraqi marsh villages whose residents were displaced in the 1990s, canals in Nimrud, and prehistoric walled hunting traps known as desert kites in eastern Jordan. Excavations reveal traces of Greek island's medieval past. Now that's interesting. That's very nice. Foundations of a pier and the islet on which the St. Nicholas Chapel was first built in the 4th century AD were uncovered during excavations at the port of Mykonos, according to Greek reporter. Traces of the bridge that once connected the chapel and the pier were unearthed as well. Archaeologists have also found medieval foundations in the town's neighborhood of Castro, including a tower next to the whitewashed church of Panagia Frigani. That's very nice. I mean, you get, look, when when it comes to Greek archaeological sites, it's always the ancient stuff or the Neolithic stuff or the Hellenistic stuff. Right. Very few have actually unearthed its medieval past, Greece's medieval past. So this is a nice addition to that. Okay, Greek boy, you can hit the next Greek one too. <laughs> well, check this one out. Bronze Age structures and tube system found on Greek islands. 
A system of tubes used to keep seawater out of a multi-level Bronze Age settlement was discovered on the Greek islands of Kyros and Laskalios, according to the Greek reporter. The two islands were connected in antiquity. The recent excavations also reveal that some of the buildings on Daskalio were monumental in size and were built with marble imported from Naxio. This is actually very nice that, I, that we got to read this one because what Greeks, modern Greeks, always make fun of is that the modern irrigation system or the modern plumbing system. Right, right. It's terrible in Greece. Worse than the ancient. Yeah, because the ancients... Okay, I'm not going to get very graphic here, but let me just put this this to you. The ancient Greeks, when they actually flushed the toilet, and they were flushing toilets in the ancient world, their plumbing actually worked, and they had plumbing. If you go to the if you go to the to the to the to the castle of of Knossos, uh, Knossos on Crete, you will see in the castle they had a functioning toilet. And, you know, the modern so he's like, well, if the ancient Greeks can have a functioning plumbing system, <laughs> why can't the modern Greeks have a functioning plumbing system? Anyway. I've heard yeah. you say that many times. So. The problem that Greece has, the problem that a lot of Mediterranean cultures have is that when you do anything, when you excavate to put in a, a plumbing system or whatever, you hit an archaeological site. Yeah. By law, you have to just stop it. You have to stop the construction or the excavation, and you got to take that stuff out. That's why a lot of Greece's infrastructure is so terrible, is because there's so much of ancient Greece underneath modern Greece. So every time they try to do something, they're going to hit a monument. They're going to hit an ancient cemetery. They're going to hit a, a statue. They're going to hit a town. And so the minute that happens, the archaeological department comes in and says, okay, stop can't do it we got to excavate first and excavations take years so they're not just yeah. underachievers they're they are not underachievers <laughs> it's just they got they've got so much underneath the modern Greece <laughs> that they gotta stop every time to excavate it okay enough of that new dates obtained for prehistoric burial mound in france Cosmos Magazine reports that Hannah James of Australian National University and her colleagues dated teeth from the remains of seven adults and one child recovered from a prehistoric burial mound discovered in southwestern France in 2006. Hello, run-on sentence. Known as Les Tumulus de Sables, the mound contained a jumble of bones from at least 20 adults and 10 children and an assortment of pottery, much of which was made in the Bell Beaker style. Yeah, well, that's great. I'm glad we know about the Bell Beaker style. I, I know, I know. If you want to know more about the Bell Beaker style, look it up. You're not going to get it here. Previous dates obtained for two bone fragments discovered in the mound fell within France's Bell Beaker period or between 2500 and 1800 BC. It's one of the first cultures which spreads out all across Europe, James explained. The new dates indicate an additional six of the individuals buried in the mound also lived during France's Bell Beaker period, but one person lived much earlier between 3650 and 3522 BC, and another lived much later, sometime between 1277 and 1121 BC. This range in dates suggests that the mound was in use for more than 2,000 years. Analysis of strontium, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen isotopes in the teeth suggests that all but one of the adults grew up near the burial mound. Imperial artifacts discovered in Brazil. So now we're going from France all the way to the other side to Brazil. According to a report in the Rio Times, 
more than 30,000 artifacts, including items such as plates, cutlery, clothing, and uniforms bearing the imperial insignia, were recovered during work to renovate the zoological garden of Rio de Janeiro, which is located in Quinta da Boia Vista. The public park is also home to the Portuguese imperial family's 19th century palace, which was repurposed as the National Museum of Brazil in 1892, which suffered a devastating fire in September of 2018. Archaeologist Felipe André Colejo said the artifacts may have belonged to employees of the imperial family or may have been given by the imperial family to the military personnel, village officials, and free and enslaved workers who are thought to have lived in the neighborhood at the time. It worked as a sort of a good neighbor policy, Colejo suggested. BBC News reports that archaeologists and community volunteers led by Brian Sloan of Queen's University in Belfast discovered the remains of 14 people next to Down Cathedral, known as a burial place of the 5th century Christian St. Patrick. Nice. I thought you might like this one. An earlier investigation at the cathedral unearthed traces of a 13th century Benedictine monastery nearby. At first, the current researchers thought they might have found the monks' cemetery. However, the oldest skeleton uncovered during the new excavation belonged to a child of about six who died about a thousand years ago. This also contained the remains of a teenage girl who suffered from severe tooth abscesses and may have traveled to the monastery for medicine and prayer have been dated to between 1317 and 1429. I mean, was that a pretty common practice to send children to monasteries for medicine and prayer? Well, the monasteries were the only real centers of learning at that time. So the monks didn't just know book smarts, but they also knew about medicine. They knew about herbs and elixirs because they were the ones that kept all of the ancient knowledge afloat, alive, anything from Greek times, Roman times, any time that there was any type of civilization that took care of people or had a wealth of knowledge. At that time in Northern Ireland, and I believe it was medieval, yeah, medieval Northern Ireland, the monasteries would be the centers of learning and the repositories of all of the knowledge of the ancient world that was known at that time. I almost got excited when I saw this article, but it said Mexico and not Greece, but I'll read it anyway. It says, <laughs> because this is what I want the U.S. to do. Yeah. Well, I, this right. is what I want England. England to do with a lot of its uh, Greek artifacts, but hey, this is what it is, baby steps. Yucatan Expat Life reports that the Federal Bureau of Investigation, so that's FBI, working through the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, has handed over two artifacts to officials from Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History. The figurines, so these are figurines, which are made in the Teotihuacan style, are thought to have been crafted by people living in Mexico's central plain sometime between 200 AD and 700 AD. Federal agents recovered the artifacts in 2014 from an American collector. When artifacts are illicitly removed from their places of origin, we lose meaningful information about the study of the past, commented Foreign Minister lawyer Sergio Estrada. I agree 100%. Hello, England. I hope you're listening. According to a report in The Atlantic, Jordan Abel of Columbia University and his colleagues were able to detect a possible shift from hunting and gathering to herding at the site of Asik Hoyuk in Turkey's central Anatolia region. 
which I, I think is also where Gobekli Tepe is. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because the area is dry, Abel hypothesized that the sodium, nitrate, and chlorine salt contained in the urine of people and animals would not have been washed away from the soil by rain. The scientists analyzed soil samples from trash heaps, bricks, and hearths from different layers of the site and found that between 10,000 and 9,700 years ago, the salt concentrations rose dramatically. This possible increase in urine output corresponds with archaeological evidence suggesting that the hunter-gatherers began to keep sheep and goats, but it appears that the shift toward herding may have occurred more rapidly than had been previously thought. Over a period of about a thousand years, the researchers estimate that on average, some 1,800 people and animals lived at the settlement. That's many more individuals than archaeologists estimate the housing for the people at the site would have accommodated, suggesting the number of goats or sheep living there had increased. The team members are now looking for a way to distinguish between human and animal urine salts as their research continues. And now we go from urine salts to venom snake parts found in prehistoric human propolite. Yeah, do you, propolite. Do you know? That's, do the you nice, know? that's the nice word for that <laughs> mouth of, of excrement. I was, <laughs> wondering if, gonna... I was wondering if you knew what coprolite was. <laughs> okay. Cosmos reports that researchers led by Eleanor Sonderman of Texas A&M University discovered uncooked bones, scales, and the fangs of a viper in a single human corpolite recovered from a rock shelter in southwest texas <laughs> so this is nice scientific language for what you can pretty much figure out what they found as found it's basically human excrement <laughs> they found human excrement and they were analyzing the the human excrement so the sample of fossilized feces hello has been dated to between 1,460 and 1,528 years old. The researchers also detected traces of agave, prickly pear cactus, plants related to asparagus, and the uncooked bones of a small rodent in the sample. Okay. Sonderman said the viper parts, so these are the snake parts, are the first direct archaeological evidence of human consumption of venomous snakes, but further investigation of corporalites from the region is needed before scientists add them to the possible diet of the people who live there. So basically this, this article is saying we found evidence of ancient man or prehistoric man eating snakes. Eating venomous snakes. Venomous snakes. Which, you know, okay. But if you're old enough, you're going to go even for the venomous stuff, I guess. Yeah, well, and, and to me, I'm like, I, this it kind of indicates them learning because probably before yeah. they were too afraid to do something like that because they knew it was bad and people died from it. But then they're like, you know, like you said, either you're so desperate that you're going to, or they're actually learning and saying, well, just because, you know, that the venom comes from the teeth or whatever doesn't mean we can't eat the rest of it as gross as it is. probably use the venom for something. You never know. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. They probably, like other things, like would tip their spears in it. It shows a progression, um, like you were saying with the other one, progression in their thinking it actually shows them getting smarter not necessarily dumber no um, no that. yeah so these articles th these articles that we have are actually showing that prehistoric man was very smart he had the ability to learn 
you know, he, he was learning to learn and he was learning from his mistakes and he was working, learning also from his accomplishments. And that's how human beings learn, you know, through trial and error. This wasn't like ancient Pete offering ancient Jeff five wooden nickels if daring him to eat the poisonous snake. No, no, that would not work. <laughs> not <for that. laughs> I wouldn't even give you a nickel, a wooden nickel. I would just say, yeah, I dare you. <laughs> Check this out. Controversial medicine bottles and specimen jars found in Arkansas. Kind of like that old, uh, you know, the elixir of life. Come one, come all, the elixir of life. Oh, that's, yeah, that's exactly what this is. Right. The Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette reports that more than 400 glass bottles were uncovered in what may have been a root cellar. I don't know if anybody even knows what a root cellar is anymore. Located behind a building that houses the Baker Hospital and Health Resort over a period of 20 months between 1938 and 1940. Oh, this is total elixir of life stuff. Right oh, here. oh, yeah. Yep. The proverbial snake oil salesman. Um, the so-called hospital was owned by Norman Baker, an entrepreneur, former vaudeville performer, hello, <laughs> broadcaster, and failed politician. Yeah, that's a joke in and of itself. I'm not even going to touch that. Who claimed to have found a cure for cancer. Archaeologist Mike Evans of the Arkansas Archaeological Survey said printed advertisements for the hospital featured pictures of tumor specimens kept in alcohol bottles. Evans said the samples will be analyzed by scientists at the State Crime Laboratory and the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. The team also recovered bottles that may have held Baker's Cancer Cure Elixir, <laughs> this is good which contained a yeah. mixture of brown corn silk, red clover, ground watermelon seeds, peppermint, glycerin, and carbolic acid. Carbolic acid, which, by the way, was like the main ingredient for a lot of these, like, you know, elixirs of life. Like, listen, they give you the, they give you all the ingredients right there so people can go out and make it right right now. And the hospital was closed in 1940 after Baker was convicted of mail fraud. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Jin Hao reports that a 13,500-year-old tomb at the site of the Huing Tang ruins has yielded the remains of a young woman who died between the ages of 13 and 18 and was buried without her head in a squatting position. I don't even know what's going on I, there. I, I, yeah. Okay. Lu Sikua Yang of the Guangdong Institute of Cultural Heritage and Archaeology said the woman was deliberately put in a squatting posture. It points to the emergence of the concepts of life and death and of primitive religious beliefs. Liu, L-I-U, explained. Researchers are also trying to determine whether the woman's head was missing due to natural causes or whether it was removed. I don't know what the natural cause would be to remove yeah. somebody's head, but hey, I mean, are you saying it just fell off naturally like she was in the position? Wouldn't that be in the burial tomb somewhere? No, I don't know. Or, or she accidentally got it knocked off somehow. From Yeah, you know, you're riding a horse. You know, it's like those uh, old uh, yeah, looney tunes. You, you hit the branch. Yep. Would that be considered natural? Branches are natural. Burials containing remains arranged in a squatting posture have been found in other prehistoric tombs in southern China and Southeast Asia, though the symbolism of the posture is unclear. Think about how difficult it would be to bury somebody like that, because with the the rigor mortis and and to actually be pushing them and forcing them to be in that position. Would the rigor mortis force somebody's head off their body naturally? 
I wouldn't say that. So that's the thing. It's like they did. It sounds like they didn't find evidence of it being chopped off. I mean, I, it's just the the part that says natural causes. I just don't have a frame of reference of what would naturally cause somebody's head to fall off their body. Over my head. And with that, we'll go to the next one. <laughs> Mustafa Waziri of Egypt's Supreme Council of Antiquities announced the discovery of a sealed rock-cut tomb in Aswan containing about 30 mummies. The tomb is located in the Aga Khan Mausoleum area, where archaeologists have mapped some 300 tombs dating from the 6th century BC through the 4th century AD. The newly discovered tomb dates to the Greco-Roman period and is made up of a stairway flanked by sculpted blocks of stone leading to the funerary chambers. It kind of sounds like the old universal mummy. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. From the 1930s with Boris Karloff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Patricia Piacinti, head of the Italian-Egyptian archaeological mission, and her team members recovered pieces of two painted wood coffins. Leaning against the north wall of the room was an amazing intact stretcher made of palm wood and linen strips used by the people who deposited the mummies in the tomb. <laughs> Basically, let's just put the anyway, stretcher there and yeah, now that we got the mummy down. We're not carrying this out. Unpainted white cartonage, bitumen from mummification, and a lamp were found near the entrance of the main room, along with fragments of painted funerary masks and a statuette of Bobbird depicted as a bird with a human head who was thought to represent the soul of the deceased. Bobbird? Bobbird. That, that's the best name you could have come up with that one was Bobbird? Okay, that's like Bobbird. that's like almost like the bears, Bobbird. Okay, that's great. Science News reports that geoscientist Roger Fu, F-U. Hey! I'm just pronouncing, I'm just, I'm just spelling out the last name, of Harvard University and his colleagues analyzed the magnetized areas of 11 of Guatemala's 2,000-year-old potbelly sculptures. That's like what? Like the potbelly sandwiches? I don't, I don't know. Some of the massive sculptures, which are generally round in shape and depict people holding extremely large stomachs with their arms and legs, are thought to have been carved from boulders magnetized by lightning strikes. Come on, how cool is that? All right, I'll give you that. Fu's team suggests the ancient carvers looked for areas of the iron-rich basalt boulders that repelled magnetized minerals that they held in their hands and then carved the figures' foreheads, cheeks, and navels within those magnetic fields. Art historian Julia Gernesey of the University of Texas at Austin suggests that the sculptures may have been intended to represent dead ancestors and their capacity to repel magnetized objects may have been interpreted as indicating an ancestor's presence and authority. I'm looking at the next one here. We're back to a head article. Dude, you're getting ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Students of scripture know that King Saul was a tall man and that David had a ruddy appearance. Outside of sparse physical descriptions like these found in the Bible, much about the appearance of biblical figures is left to the reader's imagination. But thanks to a new archaeological find at the site of Tel Abel Beth Makkah in Israel, people may now get to look into the face of one of the Bible's kings. This is how small they are. A sculpted head measuring 2.2 by 2 inches and thought to be from the 9th century BC is the latest artifact to be recovered from the archaeological site in northern Israel. 
Although the sculpture is only about the size of a Barbie doll's head, it shows remarkable detail, including almond-shaped eyes, a manicured beard, and a stern expression. The inclusion of a golden crown indicates that the head likely depicts a royal figure. Robert Mullins, lead archaeologist at the dig and professor of biblical and religious studies in Azusa Pacific University, has some ideas of which biblical kings the miniature head might portray. So they don't really know if it's King Saul, but they suspect things. Yeah. So the ancient city of Abel Beth Makkah, which is associated with the archaeological site, also has biblical significance. In 2 Samuel 20, Joab pursues Sheba, a rebel of King David, the city, and prepares to batter down its outer wall. Joab's army is stopped by a woman who saves the city by having the head of Sheba thrown over the wall. Oh, there we go, another head. Man, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it just came off naturally, so it's okay. Can you imagine if that landed on somebody else's head? <laughs> Would that be considered a headache? Or, or on their food when they're eating or something? Uh. <laughs> In the Iron Age, if there's any figurative art, and there largely isn't, it's of very low quality. This is of exquisite quality. So do they know if it's Saul? I think it's because of where the head was found. At least from what we have, that's the only connection to that era with one of the kings in that area would be at that place. And since she turned over the traitor, <laughs> who is, who is you right. know, on David's side, that you know they probably look at that as well this was a loyal place to Saul so you know they might would have stuff like that or they even gave them that as a as a token of their thanks for being loyal the nice thing about this article and all the articles that we've posted and talked about is that so much archaeological evidence is now coming out that establishes the historicity of Saul and David and Solomon and and the prophet Samuel it's like what the Bible was saying in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, uh, is now being archaeologically proven. Because I don't think a lot of people know this, but when we were growing up, scientists didn't believe that there was an actual King David. Yeah. They thought that he was a composite of, like, Semitic rulers of Israel at that time, and we didn't know who really they were and, and all that. But then all of a sudden, they're finding inscription and clay pottery with mentions of King David. And now they're finding this about uh, Saul and their uh, other findings about Hezekiah. And, you know, so a lot of the biblical evidence for that time period, and yeah, it's a huge time period, but you're finding it, and it's corresponding to what the Bible says. So I'm of the philosophy of that, you know what, guys, relax take your time. Don't move off of your biblical faith because eventually scientists, archaeologists, geologists, they're going to start confirming this stuff. If you want the full stories of any of these, we are going to be posting those on our Facebook page. We're just mainly trying to hit the main headlines of the last month or so. So please visit us on our Facebook page. And if you don't like Facebook like a lot of people. Um, you can always email us, and our email is in the show notes. Gotten a few very nice emails from people. And, oh yeah, tell them that email. That we well, got. I wanted to get permission before I actually. Oh yeah, that's right. We can't. We gotta stay legal. What I can say is that it was a really nice email. 
very nice. Here. Absolutely, and it's from a archaeology student. So, and those are always great. We actually have a few. It's funny because I've said to some people because they're like, "Well, obviously, because you're covering archaeological stuff," and it's like, "Yeah, but Pete and I are we're not professional here. We enjoy it, and we try to keep it more down to earth when we do stuff." One of the things he did mention how archaeologists and different people have to deal with, you know, the urine and the poop and and all of the, the, <laughs> the not so fun stuff. One of the things they do a lot of is mapping and all kinds of different things that is tends to be very very boring and tedious this guy does some of that glad that he can get some enjoyment out of our podcast yeah because we break up the boredom he just puts bible dig on in the background while he's like you're looking at ancient poop and then he's listening to us so we're like yeah now i'm getting into it so what we're saying is we're at least a little bit better than poop ancient poop you can quote us on that we will <laughs> see you next time on the diggy news and our regular bible dig episodes for more info on the Bible Dig Godcast, please visit the Bible Dig Facebook page, where you'll discover a treasure trove of photos, the latest archaeology finds, and our monthly Bible study. And remember, when in doubt, just get diggy with it. Your stupid head again. Oh, me? Yeah. Sorry. Move me. You move me? Can you pull my picture over? No, you're an immovable object. Nice. Uh, yeah, I got your face covering up part of my thing right now. My bad. Epic fail. Epic face. That's right. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Bible dig. We're better than poop. <laughs>